parents, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I'm your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. Kids, I envy you. I so envy you because truth be told, your options have never been better with Dr. Brown's Options Plus Wide Neck Bottles. From nipple to base, it eases the transition from breast to bottle and back again. Each nipple is specifically engineered to offer the same consistent natural flow so that you and your twins know what to expect at every feeding. The new breast-like nipple shape is correctly contoured for a proper latch and a more natural bottle feeding experience. So together with the anti-colic internal vent system, your twins will feed with minimal fuss. And when your babies are no longer gassy, remove the venting system and continue to use the Options Plus bottle without the extra parts. Brilliant. It really is brilliant. You guys are so lucky. So for more information on the Dr. Brown's Options Plus bottle, visit drbrownsbaby.com. Jewel. Yep. Sometimes when I am taping a podcast, I have moments where I'm like, we're going to change the topic. I think we could have a better topic. That's going to be more universal. Okay. And so that happened during this podcast. Oh, and, okay. Um, I'm glad you told me. I have my tail between <laughs> my legs. Nope. Nope. The topic is staying the same. Oh, so the topic is all about dealing with grief when you are expecting twins and have twins and when bad things are happening around you. Okay. And so I was under the impression that we were going to be talking about kind of like the depression that leads from grief. Okay. And so I was like, well, maybe we should change this topic and we should talk more about depression in general, but no. Okay. So what happened was, as I said this to her and she's, she's like looking at me with a very like quizzical is that a word look on her face that's not a word but sure we're rolling yeah quizzical that's a word is it really a word i would use that in scrabble okay but i don't think that's how it's used just so we we know i don't think it might be a dr seuss book word i'm not really have a quizzical face (laughs) so she's puzzled she has a puzzled look on her face that we know is a word yeah and i said to her and she's like but and i'm like well could we change the topic and also the other thing is is she her name is um, Latin, but she lives in Ireland, okay. but she wasn't born in Ireland, but has a very strong brogue. Okay. And she has a very barky dog too, by the way. So get ready for barky puppies okay. for the first half of it. And then I was like, wait a second, that dog is barking too much. Um, so you'll hear her dog who's trying to get in on this conversation, but she's like, no, we can talk about depression because we're going to talk about this. And so we really did talk about her mom's illness and the fact that she couldn't be there. And it was so heavy. And I was so embarrassed that I was trying to change the topic of something that was not appropriate. Okay. I just felt horrible. I look, I still carry guilt and we taped this a bit ago and I still have weird guilt 
about it. Okay. But it it's it's such a soulful discussion. And okay. it's just, you know, mothers and daughters are so have such an interesting experience. And I was actually just talking today to Jewel before we started recording this about how I, I sometimes wish that Julie had a daughter because there's something different about having a daughter. Mm-hmm. And Jewel, I don't know if you ever heard this saying, but the saying goes, your son is your son till he takes a wife, but your daughter's your daughter for the rest of your life. Hmm, interesting. I have no idea who said it. So quote anonymous person here in Nat's brain. <laughs> I could have made it up. I have no idea. I just know I know this for the longest unless, time. Unless I would add an addendum, unless you're Jewish and then my sons will always be my sons. They cannot escape me. We're That's bad. Jewish moms part. are bad with their sons. We coddle them too much. <sighs> does, your little, does your mom coddle your brother? Are you serious? Basically, yeah. He lived with them for like ever. So. Resentful much? I mean, you know, he had some learning disabilities. So I don't, you know, he so always, he needed extra help. had to be there. Yeah. Well, you I know. think I'm having some experiences now. My daughter is 16 years old and there's things that I could do with her that mm-hmm. I just can't do with my son. And so I think it's it's my interpretation, but it's funny because there's things that, that me and my son when we watch TV together, we only watch shows that you think I would watch with my daughter. Like my son, I told Jewel, is absolutely obsessed with Below Deck. I don't it's know what that is. Any, any real housewife show okay, is my so son's kind of thing. Okay. That's like, he he is fascinated by all of this. And I said to him, I was like, do you tell your, your kids at school, like your high school, your old boys school, do you go to work and go, oh my gosh, did you watch that recent episode of The Real Housewives of Dallas? That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's all they talk about around the, uh, the lunch table. Yeah, that's my <laughs> poor boy. But it's, it's fascinating. And I love um, Catalina's relationship with her mom is still so strong, despite the fact that they're so far away. And it's such a good testament to being a parent when you still wanna have a connection with your parents. Cause yeah. we both know we have friends in our circle that have nothing to do with their parents, don't wanna have anything to do with their parents. Their parents could have messed them up more than they helped. It really depends on the type of parent that you are. Jill, do you ever think about what the boys are going to say about you when they're older? Like, do you ever think about when they are 30 and they're looking back on their childhood? Do you ever wonder what the bits and pieces are going to be that they take away? Yeah, I do think about that. Um, And I think that that thought of really kind of helps me to make sure that I have, you know, a, a good balance, a good balance of fun, but then also a good balance of making sure that they're you know, taking responsibility for things, you know, cause that's something that's really come up recently. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. You know, for example, they're, you know, they're back in school, but only for half days. And in the afternoons, they very often go to my parents' house. Um, and then they come home around four, but they're, they're supposed to do their homework, the, you know, their afternoon work with my parents. And sometimes they come home and things just aren't done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, guys, what, what is this? And they're like, oh, well, I guess Bubby missed that or Papa missed that. I'm like, you have to take responsibility for yourself because this is not 
you know, this, you, you can't just depend on other people to tell you what your homework is. Like you can read, you're in second grade. Mm -hmm. um, so now we're kind of at that transitionary point where let's say, okay, now we need to really be learning life skills mm -hmm. for getting us. And I, I, I want my children in the future to feel like, you know what, my mom made sure that I was an independent person, but that at the same time, I give them plenty of snuggles, plenty of support, plenty of love so that even though they are independent, they want to come back to the nest, mm -hmm. um, you know. But it's so funny because my kids always say that they want to buy our next door neighbor's house because she's never there because she lives with her boyfriend in the city and that they're just going to live there. And it's going to be like a everybody loves Raymond situation mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right next door. And both of them are like, we're not leaving home to go to school. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to college. Like they're basically already going to Northwestern, which good luck guys. Um, but <laughs> it's funny, they have no interest, but they're eight. So, you know, I'm sure by the time they're 16, they'll be like, I'm going to USC. Bye mom, smell you later. Not necessarily. So, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised and I won't take it personally because I wanted to get away. Yeah. I wanted to be far enough that it would take, that I wanted to be around six hours away. And I did because I wanted it to be far enough so that like, it would be a huge pain to drive home, but mm -hmm. that I could drive home in six hours if I really, really needed to. So I, I really hope that my kids do have a lot of independence and don't feel like they have to call me for every little thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's it. It's crazy. It, it's so crazy. My kids don't want to leave. So look, fast forward, both of my 20s, neither of them want to go away for college. And I, I don't know if it's because they don't want to go away or it's because they know that they're not given that choice. Yeah. Right. Well, they like live in Manhattan and they're going to yeah. get, you know, city college scholarships, right? No, we don't get scholarships. It's just so insanely inexpensive to oh, go to okay. a city university. So most states have like state universities yeah. because we are 9.5 million people on my fine, tiny city. We have city universities, which are extraordinary, but not New York University. It's not a city university. Please, we wish. Although if I got a job for NYU, my kids would get discounted or free tuition. But side note, I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah, Chicago has the same thing. They do? See, that's Chicago. great. Yeah, so like you guys college, have city Malcolm University. X College. Yeah. So we have, they, I have told them that that's what's going to happen because I am not going to pay for college. I don't know if that's good or bad or whatever, but since they are old enough to know, they have both known that they are paying for their own college. I paid for my own college. My husband mm -hmm. paid for his own college. We I'm still paying for my college. That and Jewel. <laughs> That is why. That 20 is why. years later. Yeah. Yeah. I know I, most of my right. friends are still paying for college. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, we're in our forties. And like, I haven't made a dent in my, uh, bot in the, in the balance because of all the years that I had to go on deferment for unemployment or other financial problems. Mm -hmm. And then the insurance, the, uh, interest just kept racking up. So I've been paying it for 20 years, but I haven't made a dent in it. Yeah. That's John's law school. I'm like, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, why, why are we paying $20 a month? He's like, well, it's a low interest. All right. So sure. <laughs> Literally we'll be 90. Right. And we can't retire because we have to pay your law school, which he got a three quarter scholarship, by the way. So that was like, whatevs. But the moral of the story is that it's fascinating to see how relationships between parents and children grow 
and evolve. And while you're still in kind of that your kids are moving next door and I'm still in that my kids probably only want to stay with me because of where we live and it's a fascinating place to be and literally going out to the suburbs is a punishment to them. But when you're used to the hustle and bustle, everything, I mean, it makes total sense of why going any place is a punishment because they're so used to this fast paced doggy dog. We got to do things that when you go into the slow and steady, I'm like, oh, this is the best. And the kids are like, when are we going home? There's a tree. <laughs> Mom, there's That's bugs here. trying to be my friend. <laughs> it's not something they want to do, but I, I love the relationship that I have with my children. And I definitely think it's very different for my daughter than it is for my son. Neither are better. And I know that's like a classic parent thing to say, but neither of them are better. They're just very, very different. Yeah, I and, totally get it. Mine are completely different too. But Jewel, you could see the relationship you have with your parents and the relationship you have with your mom versus your dad. Yeah. Your totally. dad's the best. My dad was the best. That's how but he doesn't goes. talk either. He that's doesn't talk. Best. I really know nothing about him. <laughs> You're not missing much. I know a couple I'm, stories. The majority of the stuff that I learned about my dad was towards the end of his life when I started really asking questions. And once my father, my father, his like the one claim to fame that he's had is he's he really was a fantastic provider. And my father is a super hustler, right? Would have like whatever he needed to do, he would do it no matter what it was. Yeah. So he was a bouncer at a nightclub. And I can remember when I was like very young, like I would say first grade-ish, that he would come home on a Friday at, you know, six o'clock from one job and he would leave at 10 o'clock for his next job. Mm -hmm. He would be home for a few hours. And although he could go to sleep, he played Atari with us. Oh, I think he might've had an Atari addiction, but that's besides, <laughs> besides the point. But we, at one point we sat down and we kind of made a, a list of all the jobs that he had. Uh -huh. And it was hilarious because since he was, his mom was a single mother. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the thirties, so could you like, that was like unheard of Yeah, right. Like to be a single mother in the thirties. So he was born in 37 and he had always worked from, you know, way before it was legal to work. And he would do everything from selling newspapers to shining shoes to selling magazine subscriptions door to door as like a kid. And I could never imagine my kids doing these things. And he would like, he literally, like he was a private investigator. He was a blackjack dealer. He was a bouncer. Like I said, he did security. He worked for a close circuit television company. Joel, it was hilarious. And when he was very, very young, he worked at the New York Stock Exchange. And what he did was he would get all the broker sandwiches. Is DJ Roomba attacking you? I have to kick DJ Roomba. Hold on a second. That's totally out of here. <laughs> this is everybody. This is my life. My uh, my knockoff DJ Roomba, Dude, um, DJ Roomba got caught on the dog dish. I knew something was going on. <laughs> But it's crazy because of all the things that he's done in his life, that was the one thing he remembered was working at the stock exchange. So towards the end of his life, when unfortunately he had pretty bad dementia, he we would go in and they would say, well, what did you do, Eddie? And he'd be like, I worked at the stock exchange. And so sure, I could correct him and be like, he didn't. He but, he, but then he did. 
right? But he did. And we just, but people always thought that he was like a broker. And they would be like, that must've been a wild job. You must've made a ton of money. And he'd be like, I was rich. We were never rich. But I love that in his dementia mind, he was rich. And I'm like, I'm so happy for him. He had his dream job. <laughs> we were totally rich. That's good. Instead Our of styles of the rich and famous. I love it. So the relationships of parents are fantastic. And Carolina definitely has a special one with her mom. And I'm excited for you to hear the story of her evolution from being a daughter to becoming a mother and then having to deal with such unbelievable grief at the time and how she coped with it. So wow. are you ready to meet Catalina? Yeah, I am. All right, guys. So brogan all, here's our good friend, Catalina. Oh, Carolina, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think this is a topic that is going to really reflect with a lot of people. You've been through a lot. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot, girl. It's a lot. So yeah, first, it's a complex story. Yeah. yeah. So let's begin at the, let's start with the positive, right? So okay. you have, you have a two-year-old twenties. I do. Yeah. Oh. I think they're oh two God. years old. How, yeah. how is that going? How are your own twenties doing? They're great. They're lovely. They're lovely little girls. They're non-identical. So they're very different, not physically, but they have very different characters and they're lovely little girls, very bright, very happy and they're going to crash. Well, they're close now in Ireland, but um, they're loving that. They're making new friends and they're starting Aww. to talk. Yeah, yeah. They're starting to talk in, in both languages, in Spanish and in English, more English. In Spanish at the moment, boy, don't mind. Um, so yeah, they're lovely. Oh, but you have not had an easy time. So, you know, it's yeah. interesting because when right before we started recording, guys, I was talking to Carolina. And so she has such an unbelievable expertise. And so sometimes when we take these podcasts, people come on and they use their expertise and not necessarily their twin parentingness. And then sometimes they come on and they use their twin. It's like, what's the main dish and what's the side dish? But I ultimately yeah. love that our community is so outstanding that we find each other and how generous that you are to share your story with us. And I'm, I'm really Thank interested you. to hear about the whole way that you had a grieving process be, and if it would be any different because of your profession. It was. So it was. So tell yeah. us a little bit of the story. And so today we're talking yeah. about grief and it is, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but Carolina, of course, we're taping this, you know, in kind of the, the middle point of a pandemic and where, mm -hmm. you know, you may not have had family members that you knew were, you know, going to pass. Now everything is, th things are just happening so suddenly that, you know, we're yeah. not, it's not the same process that it even would have been a year ago so many more things are happening we don't have the same support and things change so much with that pandemic and yeah we'll talk a little bit about that I suppose my story is a bit of a combination between my personal story and my expertise as you were saying because I'm a patient yeah. psychiatrist but it's more from my side as a mother and everything we went through but I started when I was um I found out that I was pregnant with the girls I didn't know it was twins <laughs> that was December 2017 
and I remember ringing my mom. I live in Ireland and she lives in Argentina and I don't have any brothers or sisters or dad or grandparents so she was my best friend. So I rang her and she said wow she was delighted but she said I wish I could enjoy it but I have this fever that's ongoing and there's just something there and I didn't like it just being a doctor just felt that there was something wrong so I pushed for her to have some tests done I was starting a new job in Ireland and soon after say two weeks after I found out I was pregnant we found out that she had stage four bowel cancer Hmm. so I yeah so I traveled to Argentina it all happened really fast um, she had a failed surgery and I stayed with her in the ICU I slept on the floor being pregnant I didn't care yeah. and she was my world and I started bleeding obviously from the stress and everything mm. that was going on thankfully my husband had traveled at the stage for the surgery okay. so I had a scan and in that scan we found out that we were second twins mm. and it was a lovely surprise because we, we were so shocked yeah like so was, you found out in Argentina you were in Argentina in Argentina yeah wow. same hospital where my mom was wow. while she was there in the ICU I had the scan and I found out there um we were happy and we thought it was a boy and a girl as everyone does um but it was two girls and it was a very very difficult pregnancy very difficult mm. um I traveled back and forth from Ireland to Argentina all the time as much as I could um to be with my mom in the process of chemo and in the transfusions and um to be with her as much as we could but then I developed an autoimmune disorder in my blood in the third trimester so I couldn't travel more um, and when we got the platelets up, I was induced and I had the babies. And the babies were healthy and safe. It was 37 weeks. Wow. So everything was okay. Um, but still, it was, it was very traumatic. Yeah. And obviously, I had them. And I ran home and I said, they're fine. They're healthy. And she said, okay, now I can die. Yeah. So everything was, was kind of painted with that smell of death so I could I could never enjoy the pregnancy um and then two days later she rang me while I was in a hospital in the middle of the night I was alone with the babies and she said to the night it's my last night so please say goodbye um pray for me because I'm I'm dying tonight that was the 25th of August 2018 and I, I usually say that that was the worst night of my life. Well, I don't know. Um, I, it, was, it was just sheer despair. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I saw the perinatal psychiatrist for the first time the following day. Okay. I have to say that he changed my life. He was so good. At the time, I was a general psychiatrist. I, I hadn't, had never thought of going into perinatal psychiatrist until then um but he was he was amazing and my mom died a month after that the 26th of September in the middle of that one of my girls developed septic so she had a generalized infection and 
thankfully I'm a doctor and I realized that something yeah. was going on so I took her straight away to hospital and she was there for 10 days and she, she was fine she got antibiotics and she was fine and she was discharged on the 12th of September mm-hmm. and I thought today is the best day of my life she's coming back home reunited with her little sister but I could sense that something was going on that my husband wasn't all there and he said what, what's going on you can tell me and he says your mom was put in palliative care there's nothing else yes. you can do I think that's when I realized that mom was going to die mm-hmm. but at that point it hadn't even crossed my mind that she she might actually die mm-hmm. she had a 10% chance of surviving and in my head she was going to see the girls grow up at least for five years yeah. for a time but I just gave up hope that day and the following week I travelled to Argentina I found all the milk that I could and I travelled and my mum was already in hospital yeah. and I had to make the decision to put her in a coma mm-hmm. so that she could leave <laughs> in peace and yeah so that was it and then I came back to Ireland and I started grieving and that was the start of grief because I hadn't grieved until that point mm-hmm. you know how when you know that someone you love is going to die you prepare yourself you yeah. know with your grief and you can prepare what I didn't I never prepared because in my mind, my mom was going to survive. Mm-hmm. She was 57, I was 30, she was going to survive. Yeah. But she didn't. So it was a massive shock. And, I um, could imagine. And also with the baby's home, you don't really yeah. have much more, you don't have a chance to think about anything but changing, feeding, because, you know, with uh, on to university, of course, we cover so many things that are about, you know, getting you prepared for, you know, the fourth trimester and that first week home and breastfeeding and scheduling and just, you know, kind of, you know, the process of everything that there really isn't a lot of room for anything extra, whether it is grief, celebration, whatever it is, it is literally nose to the grindstone, you know, take care of the babies. So of course you wouldn't really think about it much. I mean, that makes sense to me. You know, I think a a person outside of our situation that hasn't had twins would say, how could you not, you know, the minute that you have those babies, how could you not start thinking about your mom again? But you don't, because even biologically, your body goes into mom mode, right? So, so physically, your changes are focused on these two little babies that are in front of you. And that becomes your focus, which is all very, you know, organic and natural. And then having the side of worrying about, you know, your mom, especially that, you know, she's not in your house, that you didn't see it all the time. It's, you know, your body, I think by default, is probably going to go towards the baby. So yeah, I can, I can, they were my priority. Yeah. They were, but there's a biological side to grief as well. Mm-hmm. There's so many things about grief that we don't talk about, such as taboo, and that we need to normalize. Mm-hmm. And it's a human reaction to devastating loss. And I lost a lot of weight, and I lost my milk supply, and I was exhausted. I couldn't sleep. 
um, even when the babies were sleeping and all the things that we need to do, um, you know, how you try to sleep when they're sleeping and all those things I couldn't do. Yeah. So it was exhausting. And I, I think a part of me wasn't completely there. Mm-hmm. I was there with the twins, feeding them and playing with them and watching them grow. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes feel like I was an outsider, like I watch all yes. the videos I look at the pictures and I know that I was there mm-hmm. part of me wasn't part of me was grieving and that's normal and that's to be expected but that I suspect comes with a lot of guilt as well because you feel I should be enjoying this what if my girls are sensing so much what if they know that I'm not a hundred percent in this world with them? And the perinatal psychiatrist was was wonderful with that. And he said to me one day, "Look, it's really for children to see that their parents are suffering, yes. that they're in pain, they cry, that they're human, and it's equally important for them to see that they can get back up again. Yeah. That they do have." the resilience to kind of keep moving forward so that's what I did I just kept going (laughs) much as I could I was exhausted but I I tried yeah and that's what counts at the end of the day it really is now I have a question for you okay so wearing your doctor hat and like discussing that Mm -hmm. there are so many families that deal with kind of what the symptoms that you just said. So, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you deliver your babies and, you know, they don't have, have anything as severe as losing a parent or worrying about the, the, the phys- physical status of a parent. However, there are a lot of parents that deal with, you know, postpartum anxiety excuse me, and postpartum mood disorders in general. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, once upon a time, it was kind of bulked under this one category of postpartum depression, right? So now, of course, as our world is evolving, we're noticing that there's different symptoms that people could exhibit. When you were just talking about, you know, recognizing your story, um, I recognize your story as somebody who did have postpartum depression, and I didn't lose a parent. How can a parent um, that may be, or, you know, the funny thing, Catalina, it's not even thinking about what the, like, I'm hoping that a partner is listening to this right now, because I think often partners would recognize these symptoms in, in you know, a new parent um, so much faster than we recognize them in ourselves. How could somebody know what is realistic, you know, grieving like this is kind of the, the process of what grieving is and how do we recognize it as a postpartum depression and are they treated differently or are they treated the same? It's a really, really important question. And it happens all the time. I see it all the time in the practice with my patients that especially GPs mm-hmm. or family doctors in, in America, they get them mixed up. The symptoms can be very similar. Mm-hmm. So with grief, you have your low mood and your low energy and you can have fleeting thoughts of death and you can have guilt and shame, mm-hmm. same as you can have with depression. Now, 
the difference is that with postpartum depression, we know that it is related to motherhood usually and to the loss of identity and to all the changes that you're going through we know that there is a massive biological component of hormones and genetics so we do know how to identify that and we know that grief isn't a medical illness it's not a psychiatric illness it's a human reaction Mm -hmm. to a loss so if you've had a devastating complex traumatic loss then grief is a response to that. So obviously how, how we diagnose them is just by taking history and, mm-hmm. and just knowing what, what happened to that mother or to that father. Because we are talking about postpartum depression in fathers as well nowadays, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, and grief can affect anyone in the family as well. So it's really important i think for gps and obstetricians to be trained in mental health mm-hmm. at least in the general disorder suicide mood disorders in the postpartum and antenatal mood disorders in anxiety which are incredibly common mm-hmm. that women might suffer from postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety and they need to normalize grief as well Mm-hmm. I've had many patients who've seen GPs who said, oh, right, so you're grieving, and they put them on an antidepressant. And that's not the answer. I wasn't put on an antidepressant for grief. Treatment is different. Mm-hmm. You see a bereavement counsellor, or you see a perinatal psychiatrist, or you see a team of counsellors who support you through your journey of healing, hopefully, mm-hmm. and of moving forward from that loss and it's really important to understand that the pain doesn't get better you will hear so many people who say so many cliches and they will make you feel so alone they'll say yeah time will heal all wounds and it's actually really important to tell people that the pain changes it does change you'll get used to the pain as you do with every kind of chronic pain you grow and that pain is still there, but your life keeps growing and moving forward. Mm-hmm. So you kind of learn to live with that pain. You cope with it better. Yeah. And a lot of people can help you. You can do that yourself, but it's good if you have a team of professionals that can help you, especially at the beginning, and especially if you have twin babies <laughs> to take yes. care of at yes. home. And the treatment for postpartum depression would be completely different. Yeah. And usually we, we would need medication. Sometimes we don't. We, we just need psychotherapy for, or, or interventions of occupational therapy or social work. Mm-hmm. But um, the treatment is different because that's a psychiatric illness. Grief isn't a psychiatric illness. It's just a response to a human experience. Now, let me say that sometimes grief can get very complicated mm-hmm. and can overlap with depression over time okay and in that case we might need medication to help people but that's something very specific to what we do in in psychiatry but yeah there there are two different worlds with symptoms that overlap Mm -hmm. but we need to have the ability and the knowledge to tell them apart okay other healthcare professionals are trained in that as well as you were saying thankfully the world is changing and perinatal psychiatry is so new so so new we've only 
been recognized as the proper field in psychiatry in the last three or four years. Um, so we need to train people yeah. and to let them know that this exists and that it can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I yeah. want to talk about the team. So I want to talk about like, how do we initiate this conversation with our team, whether it's our obstetrician, our gynecologist, or even our Mm -hmm. child's children's pediatrician. All right. Mm -hmm. So sit right there. We'll be right back. If you're looking to hear more personal stories about exceptional twins and their parents while navigating through all the ages and stages, then you need to subscribe to Twiniversity's newest podcast, A Twins Tale. Now available on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found, each episode focuses on a special set of twinnies and what's going on in their world at that very moment. Feedings, sleep routines, schedules, challenges, and successes. We are sharing all the details with you so that you will know what to expect one stage at a time from birth all the way through college. To learn more and subscribe for free today, visit twiniversity.com slash twinstale. Okay, so we were talking about building our team and initiating these conversations and getting the support that we need. Now, Catalina, you mentioned that your mom was in the, the palliative care. I always say that word weird for some reason. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work well in my mouth. But typically that does go in conjunction here in the United States with emotional counseling. So for those yeah. of you that are not familiar with this, um, there are situations that your parents or sometimes, unfortunately, your partners or other family members may be beyond what medical treatment could provide for them. So instead Mm -hmm. of continuously treating a problem, um, very often it's in the sake of um, cancer. Providing comfort. Yes, so it it could go with heart failure. It could go with a lot of different things. It's not specifically Mm -hmm. a cancer thing, but here in the United States, we call it hospice. So often people will go either into in-home hospice care, or you could go to a hospice sensor of where they just get treatment to, um, to comfort them. So as Catalina was saying, so in that typically there is, um, a wonderful benefit of it where a lot of people tend not to, um, they look at even hospice as a very negative thing. Forget about grief. People don't even want to realize that, you know, there are going to be times where people are going to come to the end of their life and it's going to be up to us as the caregivers to make sure that they have as glorious of a transition into the next session of whatever the universe provides for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So with that, it's, it's a very difficult decision to make very difficult decision in the first place, because you have to admit to yourself that this is what's happening. But one of the things that, um, and, and Catalina, I I, I don't really talk about this, but I just lost my father last year and he was in hospice and we went through the process and I don't, I really don't talk about it a lot because everybody's situation is very different, but I was the primary, I was my dad's primary caregiver. And so uh, if it wasn't for the sake of the social workers and the psychologists that were provided to us for 18 months, free of charge, and they give you such the support that I received was much different than the support that my mother received. So it was just, it was very treatment of the family member instead of treatment of the situation. 
that I humbly appreciated. But if you do not go through the hospice situation where you know this is coming and you have people that are holding your hand every step of the way, I mean, really, there were times that they were calling me on an hourly basis towards the end. It was, it was really extraordinary. And it made the transition into grieving a lot different because they, yes, they really prepared you well before anything was going to happen. Of course, there's situations where you can't be in that situation. And, you know, you're, you're unfortunately kind of smacked behind your head with a frying pan Mm -hmm. when it comes to grief. But if you can get prepared, obviously that's best case scenario. However, even in your situation, when you were getting prepared, that didn't make the frying pan to the back of your head any different. No, I wasn't getting prepared because I was so focused on the pregnancy Mm -hmm. and on getting my mom through. I have to think that I was divided into two countries. Mm -hmm. So my mom was in Argentina and she died there and she had all her care there. But then my care was in Ireland. So I didn't get any kind of counselling from the hospital in Argentina or from the palliative care team in Mm -hmm. Argentina who were wonderful. And we had this this wonderful talk one evening when I came out of the room I was alone and I got them all together and I said I think it's time for her to go Mm -hmm. and as a doctor I think they they respect your decision more Mm -hmm. and I talk a lot about the privileges that we have as doctors we don't talk about that enough um which isn't fair I think I'll everyone should have the same Mm -hmm. voice and should be listened to but sometimes as doctors we get to speak to colleagues in a different way and they respected my decision if that was more quickly than they would have done with other Mm -hmm. people and I recognize that and I'm open about it um because people have to know yes and I said it's time for her to go and they said okay yes we agree and, and she, she left, she left soon after. And yeah. I traveled the following day to, to, our, to Ireland and I got my help in Ireland. Okay. It's quite important to tell people that we need to ask for help and that there's no shame, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a psychiatrist. It doesn't matter if you're a first time mom your first point of contact it depends on the country but here in Ireland it's usually your GP mm-hmm. or your midwife mm-hmm. or your obstetrician it depends on the type of care that you're getting if it's private or if it's public it doesn't matter tell them what you're feeling mm-hmm. antenatally during your pregnancy tell them what you're feeling many many times they will not ask because yes. they're not trained to do so yes they'll say how are you feeling but they're asking how you're feeling physically mm-hmm. they're not really asking how are you feeling mentally correct so tell them tell them if your mood is going down if your partner is noticing something mm-hmm. if your sleeping pattern has changed if you are anxious about anything if you're thinking too much about anything obsessively tell them and they will make a referral onto us onto a perinatal mental health team we have perinatal mental health teams in the uk and in america in canada everywhere in argentina thank goodness um and the good thing about perinatal mental health teams is that we have a really low threshold for accepting patients 
So we will see everyone because we know how delicate a time in life is yeah. for the mom and for the baby. Yeah. So we will see everyone at least once. Mm-hmm. And if what you need is a bereavement counsellor, then we will refer you on to that. And we will follow you up and we will be there for you when you make your birth plan and we will talk to your obstetrician all the time. So it's a great support to have. And we have them in public hospitals in Ireland. So it's free and it's, it's something that people need to know about and it's really really important that that people know that perinatal mental health exists yes i don't think that they do i don't think that it's been a typical you know form of care just like there's pelvic floor specialists right there are so many different ways that people could get help for things that they think are typical but if if you it may be typical but if it's making you feel different about your life experience it needs to be addressed. It can be this elephant in the room that, that is pushing everybody to the walls and is suffocating you internally. And you can't think that it's, it's typical. And unless we, I I really hope that we have listeners that are are really taking this to heart because guys, it is so important that you get the support that you need in the way that you need it. And it is, you go to, it is, but you know, Carolina, another thing that we talk about a lot at Twiniversity too, is we talk about how parents in the NICU have, there's, there's grief that comes with that. Yes. It is not the same grief as losing a parent, but there is a grief of premature delivery of my body failed me and I could not do it. Trauma, so much trauma, fear, uncertainty course so there's a perinatal mental health team that will support you there mm-hmm. we'll have your midwife there and you'll have the perinatal psychiatrist and our teams have social workers and have psychologists and we have nurses who are trained so we do have lovely teams there willing to help you in the wards when you are discharged now when you're home and we will follow you up and please know that there's no shame, no guilt. Of course, a lot of mothers feel that they're failing yes. because they're struggling, because their lives are changing. They don't feel the way that they felt before. They are supposed to feel a certain way. Oh, so happy because they just had a baby or two babies. And it doesn't work that way for most no. people. It's life changing. Your identity changes. Your body changes, even without grief. Mm-hmm. And if you add grief to that, so imagine the combination, it's mm-hmm. explosive. So please, I, I suppose my main message for today is please, please ask for help. If you need us, always here to help you. Yeah. We'd be more than happy just to see you at least once. Maybe you, you don't need the support, mm-hmm. but at least to see you once and talk to you and just know that you have the support there and the resources there and they're all around the world so I, I imagine that you've listeners all around the world yes. it's really important that you reach yes. out and, um, and you you connect with that person too that's another thing yeah. that I think people don't realize is that just because yeah. you might be assigned to speak to this one person this one time if you don't feel a connection and you don't feel better about it you're actually allowed to speak to somebody else so don't, don't, yeah. but, but, you know, Caroline, I think it's so tough to get people to that first appointment that yeah. often they don't want to even consider, a, you know, a, a follow-up with somebody else. Yeah. But if you are, if you are brave enough 
to ask for help the first time. And if you are disappointment, uh, disappointed by the treatment that you're getting, please do not stop there. Please continue oh. until you finally yeah. connect with somebody. Because I will tell you, as somebody who's, you know, who's who's a very big fan of mental health support, is it's as equally as important as any physical health doctor. If you do not connect with somebody, that doesn't mean that it, the process doesn't work. It just means that no, the person no. wasn't for you. You know exactly, so. and you will find so many types of people. Even in psychology, you mm -hmm. expect everyone in psychiatry to be empathetic and understanding, and it doesn't happen mm -hmm. all the time, unfortunately. Most of us try, and yeah. we are very compassionate, and we do have patience and experience, and we love what we do. Prenatal psychiatry is so small, and mm -hmm. we're so understaffed. So if we do it, it's because we love it. Yeah. We, we really do. Yes. So if you don't click with the person, Obviously, you have a right to change. Yeah, always. Yeah, people I just don't want people to give up. Yeah. I don't want people to give up on no. the process because no. they didn't connect with yeah. with somebody. There's a lot of choices, somebody. and yes, yeah, it is a little bit more difficult here in the U.S. To be very honest with you, to find a uh, specialist yeah. in perinatal support or postpartum mm -hmm. support, and I do think that it is important to find somebody who does have that specialty. Because yeah. a not saying that a child psychiatrist couldn't help you, because ultimately psychiatrists are trained, you know, are trained wonderfully in the art of mental health. However, if you have somebody that has a very specific um, specialty, it is going to give you more pinpointed care. So, you know, if your town or your city does not have a perinatal um, psychiatrist or social worker even, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get support. You just may have to, you know, figure out who's going to be the best one to help you. But people yeah. are out there to help you. Yeah, and you can get support online. Mm -hmm. And in America and in Canada, you have a great um, organization, which is PSI, which is both part of Support International. And you can go online and check in their web page and you'll mm -hmm. see all the list of professionals and where they are. And you can ring them and they will set up an appointment. And that's great because yeah. you have you have those resources there. It's just that people don't know. Yeah. Just getting that information out there so that people can, can yes. reach them. That's really, really important. I, yeah. I really, really agree. And I'm, I'm so thankful that this conversation went the way that it did. And, Aww. you know, if oh I, I know that you've probably been told this a million times before, but I am very sorry about your mom. And I don't think that, well, I do want to say that people do say that time heals all wounds. It doesn't heal the wound. It just changes the wound. The wound is, is always there, but it's the way that we deal with that wound. If we pretend it doesn't exist and we, you know, continuously rub dirt into it and make it fester and get infected, that's going to be a very different wound on your, your psyche. However, if you could get care for it and say, okay, this is a natural part of life, despite the fact that we never want to think about it. Um, and it could, it doesn't only have to be death. Like we discussed, it could be just, you know, that the trauma of your delivery, it could be the disappointment yeah. of twins, you know, yeah, people sometimes are really disappointed that it was two. And 
gender disappointment is a real thing. Gender well. disappointment, true, absolutely. That a lot. I suppose it's really, it's really important to acknowledge that the yeah. wound is there. Yeah. Just know that it is there and that will, it will form a scar over time. It might open up again anniversaries or random days or random days when it's are crying mm-hmm. what's going on yeah it's open it's, mm-hmm. it's fragile but it does form a scar over time and your heart and your soul and your mind will always be scarred mm-hmm. and that's okay because you've been through a massive trauma so it's, it's about normalizing grief yes. as well it is for everyone oh. yeah Thank you so, so much, Catalina, for taking time Thank out you. of your insane schedule and not yeah. only for My pleasure. for sharing your story, but for supporting us. Because as oh, a professional, a when you put that hat on, like the, the amount of people that you have the ability to change their lives is, is significantly more than the average human. And the fact that you are taking your own grief and your own life situation and you've changed your entire you know alignment of your career to support <laughs> yeah. parents it's just yeah. it's absolutely extraordinary so thank you so thank so much you. for that thank and for you. joining us today thank you it's my pleasure it was lovely and thank you for having me thank you so much so whatever you need i'm always here ah uh, that's perfect. Okay. Now for you guys that are listening, if you do want more information or you do need additional support, know that you could email us at community at twiniversity.com and we will try to either, well, we'll get your message to Catalina if you specifically would like that. Or if you are just like, I am on this boat and I am in the middle of this ocean and I need some support, we would be more than happy to help guide you to the shore and figure out, um, you know, who in your local area is going to be the best support person for you. So that is one of the uh, great things that Twiniversity has. Also, if you are not familiar, Twiniversity has a, uh, a peer-to-peer support network that we have a mentorship program that sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily need professional support. You just need somebody to talk to and somebody to mm-hmm. uh, share a cup of coffee or a virtual you know, cocktail. It, and it's entirely up to you of how you receive that support, but know that we're here. And then also monthly, we do have a Twiniversity meeting that is led by a social worker that is part of our Twiniversity team. And we meet once a month and that is available to you guys too. So you could go to twiniversity.com slash membership and find out more information about that. But just whatever it is, guys, if you need support, get it. We're we're here to help you. We're just at Twiniversity on every single social platform. You could send us a direct message there as well. As always, do not forget to subscribe to this podcast because we do not want you to miss another episode because you never know. Sometimes we have serious topics like we did today with Catalina. However, sometimes it's just fun talking about, you know, twin shoes. You never really know what's going to happen here at Twiniversity, <laughs> but we're here to cover every family everywhere in the world, no matter if you're US, Canada, or in our wonderful case today, Ireland, that was absolutely extraordinary. And until next time, guys, I will see you later, alligators.